So this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 4. And so if you've been here uh, over the last couple of months, you'll know that I'm doing a sermon series at Old Cutler on the Songs of Ascent. But because we are right now in beginning our mission festival, uh, both today and next week, we're going to take a break from that series. And I'm going to specifically uh, look at some texts that allows us to consider and to think about uh, missions and our place in missions, what God wants for us. Now, this particular passage is chosen for a very specific reason, and that reason is that this is the text from which we take our mission theme, mission festival theme, which is ripe for harvest. And we've mentioned that. We mentioned it in, in the weeks before, sort of leading up to this. Uh, George talked about it today. Um, and I'm going to talk about it uh, from this text. And there, there's a specific reason for that. Um, I, I um, and As I mentioned at the beginning, I love... Um, mission festivals. I love missions. I love what our congregation does in missions. And I, I love our mission committee. And, I, and our committee spends uh, an, an extraordinary amount of time uh, thinking about praying for and preparing this conference. And, and they are the ones that selected this theme, right, for the harvest. And so I want to make sure that we understand uh, what we're talking about when we talk about uh, being ripe from the harvest. And I think the, the best place to do that is to go right to the text that mentions it and, some, and spend some time in that. So today we're looking at John chapter 4, and I'll be reading from verse 31 down through verse 38. John chapter 4, verse 31 through verse 38. And here it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And this is God's word. May the Lord bless the, the reading and the preaching and of course uh, the reception of his word this morning. So in case you didn't open your Bibles, I want to just remind you of something that's important about this particular passage and its context. And, you know, context always matters in the reading and the preaching of God's word. And, and this passage comes in the, the larger context of a chapter of scripture that probably most of you are very familiar with. And it is this chapter, chapter 4, John chapter 4, that deals with Jesus' interactions uh, with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And so that leads up to this, and it sort of shapes all the things that are going on in this text today. And of course, when you think about context, I mean, context always sort of gives us clues and indicators as to what's going on in the immediate text that we're looking at. And there are a number of contextual clues that help us to understand the passage before us today. But there's one that really does stand out, and that is this sort of ongoing um, sort of interaction with two very normal, everyday things that we do, and those things are drinking water and eating food, okay? 
In fact, that sort of sets up almost everything that is said in this chapter, drinking water and eating food. In fact, we see that mentioned, and we see it mentioned together in two verses, verse 7 and verse 8. If you look earlier in the text, it says this in the, in the passage. It says a, a woman, in the chapter, I'm sorry, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I mean, it's just very natural, very normal stuff, coming to draw water, asking for a drink. That's what you see in verse 7. Then immediately after that, in verse 8, it goes on to say, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, those are normal things, right? I mean, just typical normal things. Here comes a woman to draw water. Jesus sees her. He's thirsty. He asks for a drink. The disciples before that had gone into the city to buy food, okay? Water and food. But those two things Jesus uses in the text that we're looking at today, actually in the interaction with the Samaritan woman, but specifically then in the text that we're looking at today, to talk about God's greater priorities, or to speak to us about eternal spiritual realities. Because if you think about the woman at the well, the woman drawing water, what does Jesus do with her? He talks to her not just about physical water, but he talks to her about living water, the water that only he can give, right? The water of salvation. When he goes on and he has the interaction with the disciples, so they come back to him and they have food, what Jesus goes on to talk about is the food that is the will of God. So he takes water and he takes food and he talks about living water and he talks about doing the will of God. Now, do you know what those two ideas are when you put them together? That actually is missions. It's missions. Now, something that I say every time I preach a mission sermon, and I've said it to you many times before, is this, that the reason why we get excited about missions the reason why all of us should get excited about missions, the reason why we are to engage in missions is because we are products of missions. All of us are, without exception. All of us are. The fact that you today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, could say that I have this living water, well, that's missions, right? That's what God has done for you. It's what God sent his son into this world to do for you. Therefore, you have if you're a believer, you have been missioned. And because you have been missioned, you are now called into missions. And this passage helps us to think about that. So the woman is the recipient of missions. The disciples are being geared up to go into missions. In fact, the woman does too. She actually starts to do it before the disciples do. But the disciples are being shaped for missions, okay? Now, as we look specifically at the passage that is before us this morning, what I think we, we can learn from this text are, are three things that are essential that we embrace. If we're going to be, as God's people, individually and collectively, as a church, faithful in missions. And so what, what are those things? Well, these, these three things. I'll mention them and then we'll talk about each. First of all, that we must be committed. Secondly, that we must be compelled. And thirdly, that we must be cooperative. Okay? Committed, compelled, and cooperative. And we need to understand all of these three things and what they mean for us as a, as a body of believers. So the first of these is this idea of being committed, right? Being committed. Uh, another way to say it is we have to be devoted. And, and the commitment and devotion is ultimately to God, right? We have to have as an ultimate commitment and ultimate devotion 
to, to God. If we are going to be on God's mission, our priority has to be about him. And what we see in this passage is we see Jesus getting them to that point, the disciples to that point, understanding this, by basically talking about himself in relationship to what? The food that the disciples had gone into town to buy and they brought it back to Jesus, right? And so in verse 31, they come back, they have this food, and it says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Rabbi, eat. Now, first thing I want you to note about this is there's nothing whatsoever wrong in what they say. There's, there's nothing wrong in their encouragement to Jesus to eat food. In fact, earlier in John chapter 4, it tells us that the reason they even stopped where they were is because they were wearied on the journey, right? So they were tired. Most likely in the, in the context of being tired because you're journeying, there's, there's hunger. It's one of the reasons they went to get food. We know that Jesus explicitly says this, that he was thirsty. That's why he asked the woman to drink. And so the disciples coming back and bringing the food that they had gone into town to get and coming to Jesus and say, Rabbi, please take a break. Eat some food. That was an, an appropriate thing for them to do, right? Very appropriate. Because the point isn't to say that there's something wrong with the normal things. The point isn't to say that there's something wrong with being a human being or eating food or drinking or those kinds of things or the normal things of life. That's, that's not what this passage is getting at. What this passage is actually getting at is that there's something greater than that. It's not that there aren't normal things that we engage in and do, but, but we have to understand priority. And Jesus puts all of this in, in, a, in a right perspective. The, the first things first, if you will. And so in verse 32, he then says, but, but, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And you know what the disciples did here? They did exactly what they always do, which is misunderstand. Okay? And, and, and you know, we giggle at that, which is, it's, it's kind of funny, but I promise you, if you were there, you would have been the same way. Right? You, you're totally misunderstood. That's the way they were. Jesus says something, they're like all of a sudden so literalistic, they're only thinking about the thing, right? And they're not considering what Jesus may be saying. That's the way they were. And so verse 33 says, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? I mean, they went to get food. They brought the food to Jesus. They encouraged Jesus to eat. He says, I, I have food that you're not aware of. And they're, they're going, you know, knowing the disciples at this time, they were, they were always wanting one up. And so I can imagine they're like, dude, did you bring him food? Like the rest of us wanted to bring him food. You brought, brought him, right? All that's going on, right? But then in verse 34, Jesus sets them straight. And here's what he says. He says, Jesus said to them, my food, my food. Now, he's not saying eating is bad. But my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his his work. My food. Right? Now note he says, to do the will of him who sent me. That's interesting language, isn't it? He doesn't say, and he could have said, he could have said this, and to be honest with you, we wouldn't have even given it a, a consideration because it would have been appropriate. He could have said, my will is to do, uh, my, my food is to do the will of my father. We wouldn't have given that a consideration. Or my food is to do the will of God. We wouldn't have thought about it. But he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. 
Now, this helps us to understand how missional this passage is, right? And actually what missions is, right? It's about being sent. It's about being sent. And Jesus understands something, that he was sent by his father, that he was sent by God to do his will, which I, I can tell you part of the will of God for Jesus was exactly what he was doing and had done with the Samaritan woman. But I think we could press into this a little bit more. You know, theologically, we talk sometimes about active and passive obedience, right? And, and active and passive obedience is this idea of the fullness of the atoning work of Jesus. That Jesus came into this world to what? To perfectly do the will of his Father, right? To obey. And ultimately, when we think about imputed righteousness, the righteousness that we are clothed in, whose righteousness is that? It's not yours. It's his. His righteousness has been accounted to you. It's his perfect righteousness. Luther describes it as an alien righteousness to us, right? It comes from another. His passive obedience is what we talk about when we talk about going to the cross. Now, think again about what Jesus is saying here. Because what he, he says is, basically, my food is this, that I was sent by him to do what? To do his will and accomplish, look at the last part of it, accomplish his work. Okay. What's that mean? What's that mean to accomplish his work? That word for accomplished can actually be translated. The NIV does it this way. That's to finish. Now, he was sent by the Father to finish the Father's work. To finish his work? What work is that? Well, all you got to do is go back and read your Bible a little bit. And all the way back in those early days when Adam and Eve fell into sin, right there, there was a promise that one would be sent, right? The seed of the woman crush the head of the serpent. What he's touching in on is this whole idea of the redemptive work of God from the very beginning, the very beginning. It is the, it is the work that called out Abram. It is the work that said that from his seed the nations would be blessed. It is that redemptive work that Jesus fulfilled were. Where? Here, here's a way of catching it. In John chapter 19, verse 30, do you know Jesus from the cross used that ex same exact word that he uses here when he said it is finished what work the work of redemption the work in which Jesus Christ takes the sin of God's people upon himself and dies paying the penalty for that sin that was why Jesus was sent and it's all about missions. He came to live and to die for the salvation of a fallen world. Now, Jesus was sent. Are we? Let me give you John's version of the Great Commission. This is John chapter 20, verse 21. He says this to his disciples. As the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. Do you see how we're wrapped up in this purpose? 
Jesus came to give himself for the salvation of this world. And he calls us to proclaim its reality. And that's all of us. Right? Now, that's the commitment. It's, it's the priority on God's purpose, right? But that leads us to the second thing, because there's a sense in which there's, there's an urgency, there's a compulsion. We, we are, we're compelled to this, right? And we, we have to be. We, there's something that sort of pushes us into this, and we need to understand that. You remember Matthew's version of the Great Commission, where Matthew says in Matthew 28, we had that read earlier in the service where he says, go and make disciples, right? He's, he's not making a suggestion to us. You realize that, right? Go and make disciples. So I said, if you guys have the time, if you want to volunteer, you can go and make disciples. He's not saying that. It, it's a command, isn't it? Go and make disciples. Now, the thing about the making disciples part of it that I find so interesting, remember, go and make disciples of all nations. The Greek is pantata, ethne, which is all the ethnic groups of the world. What, what is so interesting about this whole idea of going and making disciples is that he's not, he, he, hear this. Jesus does not say, go and try to make disciples. Does he? He actually says, go and make them. Let me, let me say it another way. Disciples will be made. Because when Jesus gives a command, he gives the, the power to accomplish it, right? And so then when we think about missions, missions isn't the church sort of trying to do good things just to see if God's kingdom can move and to, to see maybe it'll advance. It is God accomplishing God's purpose. He is doing it. And this is one of the reasons why we, we, we have to tie in, like theology drives this stuff so much. And, and a lot of times, you know, the whole doctrine of election, we believe that God, and we do in our tradition, we believe this because we believe the Bible teaches it. The doctrine of election, that God chooses eternally a people for himself. And so often you'll hear people push back on that. Well, if you believe in election, then why do you go and do missions? If you believe in election, then why do you do evangelism? I will tell you something. We do missions because we believe in election. Do you see that connection? We believe it. That there are people all over this world that are ready to receive the seeds of the gospel. You know what that means in the context of this particular passage? Here's what Jesus is basically saying. It's harvest time, baby. That's what he's saying. It's harvest time, right? This right now is the time. And so note the text, verse 35. He starts off with, a, it's, it's proverbial. And this is why you'll see in the text, in the English Standard Version, you'll see some, some quotation marks. He says, do you not say, so he's asking them a question. There are yet four months, then comes harvest. So let's pause there for a second. So he's, he's raising something that is sort of common. And, and it will make all the sense in the world when you just think about it. It's, it's sort of like in a harvest, the normal way you think about the harvest agriculturally is you plant the seeds and then you have to be patient. You have to wait for growth, for the harvest to be ready. It's just common sense, and all of us know that. We have proverbial statements like that ourselves. We say things like, um, um, Rome wasn't built in a day. When we say that, what does that mean? Basically, you gotta be patient, you can't build a city in a day, right? That was the proverbial statement. 
But what Jesus does here is something interesting. He turns this on his head because what he does here is he says, all right, this is the common way of sort of thinking about agricultural and its growth. But when it comes to spiritual things, you need to realize that it works a whole other way. So he goes on in verse 35 to say, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now think about what he's doing. He's saying agriculturally, there's a time of sowing and waiting. But spiritually, what he's saying is you need to lift up your eyes and recognize something. The harvest, it is right now. Now, when he says that to his disciples, that the harvest is right now, you need to make sure you understand what he's doing. Because he's speaking redemptively. He's speaking historically. He's speaking in a sense you could even say eschatologically. Because what he's ultimately talking about is that the harvest is in this time period between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's saying this is the time of the harvest. It's here and it's right now. And you are in it, disciples. And you are in it, old Cutler Presbyterian Church. And so in verse 36, if you notice that verse, if you put it on the screen, he goes on to say, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruits for eternal life so that, notice the end of this verse, so that sower and reaper rejoice together. What is he saying? Think of the imagery here. He's saying, here's the normal process. You sow, you wait, you reap, you rejoice. But here's spiritually what's happening. Here's what's happening because of Jesus. You sow and you reap. And it's all happening at the same time. And there is no waiting for anything. It's all going on. The sower and the reaper, they rejoice together. Why is that the case? Because of the gathering of fruit for eternal life. And that is happening right now. Right now. Now go back to verse 35. Notice it says in the English Standard Version, white to harvest. Now, our, our, our mission committee chose, I don't know if you guys use specifically the NIV, but you chose that version where it says ripe for harvest. And I get the reason for, for choosing that because it speaks truth. The word that's used here can mean ripe, bright, white. It can mean any of those things, okay? I think the reason they chose it, ripe, is because that just, it makes sense as to what Jesus is saying. Ripe for harvest means the harvest is ready. It's ready, okay? Yes, it's ready, okay? It's right now and we're living in this time, okay? But why white? Why white? Well, white could just simply mean ready, could simply talk about that part of agriculture. But it also could be something more. And it could be something that Jesus is making sure that the disciples do that I want to encourage you to do as well. Put it in the broader context. So Jesus is saying, look, this is what he's saying to the disciples. Here's what I want you to understand. As opposed to being patient, I want you to lift up your eyes and see. I think Jesus could be, and many scholars point this out, he could be calling them to literally look at something. I want you to lift up your eyes right now, and I want you to see something. And here's what I want you to see. 
I want to see that which is white to harvest. Now, what could that be? Well, some scholars point out that it very well could be the Samaritans running to him in their white, beige color robes, which from a distance would look white. In other words, Jesus, his disciples say, come back to him, and they're all about, Jesus, you've got to eat some food, you've got to eat some food, right? Right now, you're, you're starving to death. And Jesus was like, guys, do you realize the moment you're in? Do you realize what's happening right now? Lift up your eyes and look at these folks running to me in your midst right now. And why would they be running to Jesus right now? Because Jesus had interacted with the Samaritan woman. Remember that? And he had talked to her about the living water. And she got it. She got it immediately. She got this idea that this, this man is something special. She goes back. And in verse 29, it says, this is what she said. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And there they come, the harvest. Now, there's two things that I want you to take from this because I think both of them are incredibly important that we understand. First thing is this. George actually said it earlier. Farmer Brown had some insight. He said, this idea of being right or white to harvest is incredibly encouraging. It's exciting. And I think it needs to be a counterbalance for us. And when I say a counterbalance, here's what can happen. The church, especially in the day that we live in, I think I'm certain there have been times throughout church history that this has happened in our day and age. The church is dealing with, in the American church, the Western church, all kinds of difficult things. I mean, we're dealing with attendances being lower in church, people not, not anymore being, so you can look at our sort of societal numbers and you can see where Christianity is on the perspective as opposed to those who are declaring themselves to be nuns, right? No religion whatsoever. You can see the doors of churches closing. You can see a culture that we live in that is turning more and more away from things that we would hold to and be dear to us. And as a result of that, here is what can happen to too many of us. We become discouraged. We become defeated. We want to retreat. We want to run away. We just want to self-protect. Now, those things, the, the difficulties of the world that we live in, those things are real. And the Bible has given us indication that they will happen. The Bible tells us it will be hard. There will be troubles. There will be tribulation. There will be persecution. There will be false teaching. All of those things, the Bible talks about it. But the Bible also says, and this is what Jesus is getting across, hey, guys, this is harvest time you're in. God is on the move. And it doesn't matter what all the hardships, all the difficulties, all those things may be. God's purposes will be accomplished. God will not fail, which means his church will not fail, which means missions will not fail. This is harvest time. And we live in it. It's ours. It's our mission. Be encouraged. But one other thing. It's the fact that the harvest was made up of Samaritans. 
those are some hated folk. Right? Jewish people didn't like Samaritans. They were ethnically impure, religiously impure. In fact, if you had to go to Jerusalem up to, to Galilee, you try to go around Samaria, not through Samaria, right? And now the harvest is made up of the Samaritans. Wow. It's made up of the despised, of the hated. This helps us to think about something I think very important in relationship to missions. And I think it's something that we have to engage in our own thought process as we think about ministry. We, we sometimes can live in a, in, a, in a context where there is so much strong opposition. There's, there's, there's so much that comes against believers or against the church. And, and we begin, as a, as a result of that, to almost despise others. We want nothing. We want them defeated. We want them put down. And certainly, don't misunderstand me, there is a rightful place for apologetics, which is a defense of. It's a defense of the faith. And, and I think that's, a, that's, a, that's something we have to always guard, defending the faith inside out. We have to understand that. But here's the thing we also have to recognize, that what people need, and this may be enemies, this may be people who despise Christianity right now, who hate the church, what people need more than anything else is this living water. People need Jesus. And that is to go from our Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, that's big. And because that's big and so big, we have to do it, and this is the third point, in a cooperative way cooperative way which means this whole thing is bigger than any of us this whole thing is bigger than our church this whole thing is bigger than our missionaries it's, it's about all of us together in this cause and this purpose if you notice down in verses 37 and 38 it says for here here saying this this the saying holds true one sows and another reaps and that that speaks of of really the sort of organic nature of the church. I mean, when we talk about giftedness, it sort of speaks in that same kind of way that we have differing gifts and so forth. There's a sense in which there are those who are going to sow, those who are going to reap. You're going to be at different places at different times, but all of us are doing this together. And then he says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. I mean, that's a, it could be any number of things Jesus is getting at. And one of the things that will be immediate is this. Now the disciples are there having this opportunity to, to reap the harvest of the Samaritans that are coming to Jesus. And they had no involvement in that whatsoever. I mean, Jesus has a conversation with the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman goes out and talks to these folks. These folks come back for the disciples to reap there now. And they didn't do any of the sowing. It could be bigger than that. It could be the big sort of redemptive, historic redemptive purposes of, of all of the, the prophets of the Old Testament and all the things that they did in sowing into righteousness. John the Baptist being the last one of the Old Testament prophets who actually ministered in this very area. And now they get to reap. It doesn't matter because ultimately what matters is we're all interconnected. We all work cooperatively with one another. That's missions. That's our missionaries. Connecting to us, us to them, right? You know, last, last, um, last Sunday I was out. And uh, 
Karen and I went up to Jackson, Mississippi. And we didn't go on vacation. We usually don't go to Jackson, Mississippi for vacation. Uh, we, we went there uh, because uh, in 2004, uh, we went with our little kids to plant a church there. And um, we served that church for 11 years before being called to come to Old Cutler. It's called Redeemer Church PCA. And, uh, and we started, and it was, it's really interesting because it's, it's an exciting church. It's one of the, uh, the first traditional um, churches, and it's a PCA church, one of the first traditional churches in the entire state of Mississippi to be multi-ethnic, right? Um, I remember one time John Perkins, who was this, this great sort of lead from Mississippi, he's a great leader, and he talked about how he had started a church there as well that was white and black, which is a divide in Mississippi, as you can be aware of still to this day. He started a church that had um, Mississippi, here's what he said, Mississippi blacks and Mississippi whites, uh, not sorry, Mississippi blacks and northern whites. Redeemer Church, the church that, that the Lord led us to start, was the first church that had Mississippi blacks and Mississippi whites, right, in that, that church. And so it was a beautiful thing. And the church, God blessed it and it grew. But then the Lord called me to this, okay. So when I felt called here and, and the Lord wanted me here, one of the things that I did with Redeemer Church, and I think this is important for pastors that are loved in churches, is to help the congregation and to help the leaders to work through their next pastor. And I knew, I knew at the time, the, the people in the church at the time didn't, didn't know. They was just wanting to hold me, but I knew who that person was going to be. It's the man who is their pastor now. He's been there for, for seven years. His name is Albert McGowan. And I remember after I was certain I was coming to Old Cutler, sitting down with him and saying, Albert, brother, I, I know you need to be the guy. And uh, he's from Jackson. Uh, he grew up under me in the church in the sense of uh, uh, he was one of my ministry interns. He went to Reform Seminary Jackson. He was the guy. I knew it. And eventually they called him. So he served that church for seven years now. I've been here for almost eight. Um, this is the first time I've gone back. And I've gotten many invitations, but I've, this was the time, first time I was able to go back. And so I'm glad it took this long because I was able to go back and I was able to see something. That was, it, it was amazing, amazing. The Lord really blessed the church when I was there, but you should see what's happening now. It is booming. I mean, booming, beautiful growth. I mean, it's just so exciting that this young man that has taken over the church. When he introduced me, he said, um, he said um, I know something that I am doing ministry here on the shoulders of that man. And I was sitting over there and he pointed to me on the shoulders of that man. And he read Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Remember Paul was saying to the church in Corinth because they're divided and all these things. Uh, Paul says, I planted, Apollo watered, Apollo's watered, but God provided the growth. So after I preached that day, it was a wonderful time, uh, that evening, uh, we got together with some of the elders and, and their wives and uh, um, the ones that were really involved when I was there. And we had dinner. And then afterwards, uh, they took a picture of the ladies together and they took a picture of the elders together. And I want to show you this picture. Uh, so if you put it up, you see your guys right in the middle there. They asked me to sit, sit there, right? That's me to sit right in the middle. And those are, those are elders, the guy on the top right, his, my, my assistant pastor, he actually has worshiped with us with his wife. 
And then the guy right behind me with his hands on my shoulder, that's the senior pastor of Redeemer now. And when I sat down, he put his hands on my shoulder. And I was like, who in the world is doing that? And I was like, this is kind of weird putting the hands on your shoulder. But he told me what it was. I do ministry on the shoulder of somebody else. I do ministry on the shoulders of somebody else. And so do all of us. In fact, that's life. We live on the shoulders of others. We do ministry and missions on the shoulders of others. We are connected together, tied into one another. You know, in this mission festival, this is a time to focus. This is a time to think. Missions is always to be our thing. But this is a time for you to consider some things. You know, there are three, three things that we want you to think about this year in relationship to missions. We want you to think about praying for missions. And the, the reason for that is because prayer is our, our power. We want you praying for, for global advancement. We want you praying for our church to be involved. We want you praying for these missionaries. And one of the things I want you to do is you, you go, and this is a little bit of a homework, go to ocpc.life, click on the Mission Festival tab, look down, there are all of our missionaries and all the agencies that we support. Make them a part of your prayer lives. Prayer for missions. Giving to missions. It's something we want you to think about. George mentioned faith promise. What is faith promise? Faith promise is you by faith making a promise beyond your normal giving that if the Lord provides this amount of money, if whatever that may be, that you are going to give that through missions because it's the way we support our missionaries. But you know the third thing that I want you to consider? Is I want you to consider what it means to go. To go. My prayer always for every mission conference I've ever preached has been this. Lord, out of the congregation I'm pastoring, call someone to full-time missions. But you need to understand something, brothers and sisters in Christ. Every last one of us here are called to go. You have a sphere of influence. And in it, right now, you're to be sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping because God has a harvest. Praying, giving, going because we are committed, compelled, and cooperative. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time in your word, for your faithfulness to us the call upon us to Christ and to his mission. We pray, dear Lord, that you would bless us as a church. Help us to be, uh, Lord, more faithful to you in all that you would call us to do. We thank you so much for our missionaries and for the time that we will have with them, the opportunity to, to encourage and be encouraged by them, uh, to continue, Lord, to, thrive, to strive with them in mission and to be a part of helping them to faithfully serve you. Lord, we pray that you would bless us today as we, as, um, as we come now to your table. Uh, we thank you for this beautiful time of celebration of your love, your grace, your work on the cross for us. Uh, we pray that you would use this, Lord, to bless your people. Set apart, Lord, we pray, these elements from common 
purpose, to your wondrous spiritual purpose in our lives as you continue to grow us in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.